Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Evergreen's Book Club. Uh, we're excited to be engaging Brendan Manning's book, The Importance of Being Foolish. My name is Adam Locker. Uh, I get to help facilitate this book club discussion today. I've got three others with me. Uh, and if you've been listening over the last few weeks, you're familiar with their names, their opinions, and their takes on this book. Uh, but uh, as we record this through Zoom, a uh, picture directly below me is uh, our middle school youth director, Kyle William Rosscamp. What's up, Kyle? Hi, Adam. Hi, Laura. I mean, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert. Next to I him, know. That's what uh, I meant. our director of student ministries, uh, Laura Mail. What's up, Laura? Yo, good to see you guys. Nice to see you too. And then uh, next to her, Michaeline Rood, who uh, works with college students, uh, both at Evergreen and at Grand Valley State University through campus ministry. What's up, Michael? <laughs> What's up? I'm just laughing at the fact that Laura said, yo, yo, <laughs> she's like the, the coolest high school director I know. Yeah. yeah. Quarantine, uh, quarantine has not, uh, been good to Laura. I think it's been great. Uh, <laughs> it has, it has. <laughs> Um, hey, just as we get started, I want to give a shout out to Lauren DeVries. Uh, Lauren, man, thank you for joining us uh, the last few weeks. We hope that uh, this discussion is useful for you uh, and for anyone else who's been following along. If you've made it this far, you've made it halfway through the book. And so congratulations. Um, as we let you know last week, um, Kyle suggested that this is some of his favorite writing um, in all of world history. And so I am really stoked to uh, get into this discussion. You he, know, the, go ahead. He did put a really high expectation huh? on this chapter. I did, and I have taken every world lit and American lit class you can take. So I have a very expanded catalog to choose from. Great, Is that okay. is that because of it was literature one of your four or five majors in one of your eight or nine years of college of undergraduate for, work for, for a few semesters i was an english major yes <laughs> so you basically have a degree then i mean i'm not gonna say it <laughs> uh, well done well done uh well hey we this this part of the book uh we move into this part of the book um which is actually listed as part to the mind of Christ. And to get into it, um, uh, chapter four here uh, is titled Finding the Father. Uh, there's a brief introduction, and then the majority of the chapter is a parable of the medicine man. And then after the parable of the medicine man, um, there's a little bit of a summary of that parable and kind of how it relates to the rest of the book. Um, Let's start with you, Michaeline. Um, just what, what, give us a couple of just first thoughts or maybe a singular first thought about this section of the book that you had. Um, Kyle's not gonna like this. It's fine. I, I just, I went into it with really high expectations. I enjoyed it, but it was not anything for me that was like life altering. Um, I will say the one thing that I really enjoyed was when he talked about in the parable, like, if you, if I speak to you with beautiful words that make you feel important, but do not love you, then I'm not your friend. Like that whole section of the importance of 
actions versus words was like high quality. Really loved that. Um, that was, that'll be my two cents for now. Sounds good. Laura, how about you? Um, I'm kind of like Michaeline. Like I do, I do love the narrative in here of the medicine man. I think it's a really sweet story. Um, I had trouble trying to figure out who the characters were to identify in that story. I didn't know if I was supposed to be Willie and Willie then sits on the medicine man's lap who is God or was Willie Jesus? There's my question of the day. Ooh, interesting take right there. I didn't experience that at all. And uh, that's a helpful perspective. Kyle, how about you? Yeah, I don't like when I read stories like this, I don't try to place things. But the reason I love this so much is because the parable is equal parts accusatory and comforting in a way that I've needed historically and that I continue to need about how my desire to run after Jesus so often is based on what I think the end result will be, right? And I think that reading this book and being accused of, as a human being, chasing after security, pleasure, and power, I, in the back of my head, end up thinking, yes, if I follow Jesus, he will give me these things. But in the, uh, the thing that strikes me in the parable is this boy who has a skin disease and who looks weird and just, uh, gets like made fun of for how he looks. He wants to be, he wants to meet the medicine man and engage with the medicine man. So he will be different from the way he was before. And so he will refuse like to be mocked and to be made fun of anymore. But the end of the story turns into him not receiving those things, not having like those desires of his heart satisfied but being better for it and like having a fullness and contentment, even though this desire, his like real human desires weren't fulfilled. And that is why I just appreciate this a ton because I often think that my, that Jesus will fill the desires of my heart after I turn towards him. When in reality, I just need to get rid of and let him take care of and throw away all the desires of my heart that I have. Yeah, that's so good. I, I think that, uh, for me, uh, while experiencing that parable, um, it really, it, it, it actually really made me come to appreciate the way we're managing through this book club together, because I feel like it gave a lot of answers to questions that we've had over the last few weeks. Uh, as we struggled through, what is Brendan Manning talking about with pleasure, power, and security, and how does it impact us, and what do we do next? I really felt like because we wrestled with that for so long over the last few weeks, I was really prepared to experience this parable, and I really loved where this parable is placed because I think that he could have placed this at the beginning of the book and then started talking about security, pleasure, and power. Instead, we got to open up with those hard truths and then get hit with this parable. And so personally, one of the things I loved about this section was how uh, maybe emotionally prepared, just I'll just say how prepared I was to, to experience the, per the parable, to take it in and to, to not be super defensive as a lot of different emotions were coming out about it. Um, now, if you're following along in this book club um, and thinking, man, I'm just going to listen to the discussion and not read the book, then I get basically the cliff notes and I can feel like I read a book. Uh, I get it. I probably would do the same thing. But um, 
you're going to miss out particularly on this conversation if you don't read the parable. So uh, if you have not read this section yet, I would strongly encourage you to open to page 85 and at least read through, at a minimum, read through the parable of the medicine man, uh, because I think that it's going to take on uh, quite a bit of our conversation. Uh, you can Google the parable of medicine man too. It's on the internet. Ooh, helpful. Thanks. So before this parable, um, there's a section at the bottom of page 84 that says, says uh, we spend a great deal of time in our churches talking about loving our neighbors, although we spend far too little time actually doing it, which by the way, I kind of feel right now in the midst of that, like mm -hmm. I want to be out helping the people, but I don't know who needs help. And I keep saying, I want to be a person that sees a need and meets a need and I'm not doing jack diddly. Then it continues and says, and yet we rarely consider what it means to love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. You know, when Jesus gave out that commandment to love God and then love others, we spend so much time on the loving others piece. And I don't think that we as a church have taught ourselves and our congregational members how to love God. How do, how do we do that in a way that, that, that brings us to this parable where Willie does just that and gets it? And that is exactly why I, that's exactly why I think this is in part two, because I think what Brennan Manning is getting at is that the reason we don't talk about loving God is because we're too busy loving power and status and these other things that he security, um, and pleasure. That's, I think that's why I think that we would, we don't want to face the fact that we love security, power and pleasure more than we love God. And I think what we get to at the end of the parable is this like slap in the face of like, you're chasing after these things outside of God, but it's, but God's given it to you since the beginning. Like it's already there. Why are you chasing outside of God for these things? Because God's already given it to you. Yeah, there, it seems like there's, I mean, he talks about the childlike joy and like happiness that Willie brings into this relationship, but like he has yet to be like, um, I don't know, he's yet to be poisoned by the desire of pleasure, power and security that it seems like would exist in his whatever place he is in. And like the same way that we, there's the childlike wonder, the childlike love of God only exists when there's like a lack of already being exposed to these other things we think are so good, right? Because Willie isn't yet in the space of like hungering for power, hungering to be like, the only thing Willie wants is to be loved. Like that's what the first pages say. He just wants people to not hate him and make fun of him. And then once he receives that, like there's nothing else to screw that up or mess it up because all he wants is to be loved. And he has no other choice but to reciprocate in the way that he does in an honest, genuine, and authentic way because there's no other things he's after. Which is really what that last statement that I said earlier, the and don't ever let me leave you, he's not been faced with that stuff yet to know what can dr truly draw him away from God. Yeah, he's like, the only thing that could make me, separate me is if, like, you let me, you know, I'm not going to run off by myself because there's nothing for me to run off to, but we have so much stuff that we want to run off to, which is security, pleasure, power, all the stuff we've talked about for four weeks. Let's talk a little bit about the, um, special elixir. Uh, he, 
I, I thought that was really interesting. And to be honest with you, as I was reading through this parable, I thought, how is he going to tie this? What like what is this med- medicine man stuff happening here in what I find to be a highly Christian parable? Um, and then he hits us with, um, that's why I gave you my special elixir, elixir little brother. Uh, be sure to rub three drops on your heart each night. The first drop is called forgiveness. The second is acceptance. Uh, and the third is joy. Um, yeah, let's, how, how did you experience uh, kind of this work around the special elixir? And um, is, it, is, it as simp- is it as simple as we need to engage more deeply forgiveness, acceptance, and joy? So the last couple of weeks we've talked about, I've, I've struggled with the idea that pleasure um, isn't, some, isn't a gift of, of God's. And so why is pleasure, the things that he created us to have our five senses to use and enjoy the creation he's given us? And why is pleasure something that gets in the way of our experiencing God? I think that after, after the parable in this section, in my mind is where it really starts to break down this forgiveness, uh, acceptance, joy piece. You know, particularly on page 93, when he quotes 1 Corinthians um, and says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and God's spirit lives in you? Um, to live here is to realize that we have what we seek. And to me, that's the joy piece, that we keep seeking we keep looking outward for pleasure. We keep looking outward for joy and we keep attributing that to God, but it's still this outward pursuit, this, this outward look. Um, and I think what he seems to be getting at here is that, and why do we keep chasing after something, looking outside of ourselves when that is embodied in us already? He then continues to say, we experience everyone and everything around us in a different way not in terms of how they meet our addictive needs. And I, that's, that was also really interesting to me um, and maybe a distinguishing factor when we talk about joy and pleasure, but um, is the pleasure, even God-given, um, simply filling an addictive need? Yeah, that makes sense. You know, I mean, I think about that with like eating and feeling full for me like, sure. Okay. Food. Great. God created plants. I don't eat animals. So, um, God created plants. Um, and, and is it is like, as I'm, as I'm stuffing my face and struggling with overeating, am I saying, Oh, like no problem that like, thank you God for allowing me to overeat because you made such beautiful creation that I can consume. Right. I think that's, I think that's where this gets really weird. And I think that's why I love how he writes, how he actually writes the word meeting, the words meeting are addictive because I think that that's a really helpful way to frame how we experience our world, uh, what we attribute to being created by God, what we can, what we attribute to being good or bad. Um, I think we're, we're being encouraged to experience it. It's actually written experience everyone and everything around us in a different way, not in terms of how they meet our addictive needs. Yeah. It's like a big, like what can, it's like sucking every ounce of like 
what the world can give you out of it. Like it's this need that, oh, I need to go like, like it's the same way that I feel about buying clothes sometimes. It's like, sure, we all need to wear clothes. Obviously we need to experience joy, but this desire that the kind of clothes we wear and the thing, like the stuff, like defining us as human beings and we become addicted to what that does for us. It's almost like that is how I feel to separate pleasure from joy here. Like just by having clothes on your back, you have done what you need to do. And all this stuff after and outside of that is like, that comes from this, your own selfish desire. It's like when I say, oh, I needed another pair of shoes to justify me spending $940. On, I haven't never done that. But to <laughs> justify spending $140. We're going to have to have a conversation about that. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like that. That's the same thing of like, oh, yeah, I love... Like, yeah, it's just misattributing a want and a need and a, like an internal desire. In that same section, it goes on to say the perception of God being enough is the hallmark of the transparent life. Right? Like, what section forget, are you in? I'm at page 94 and 95, the end, okay. of the end of the chapter. So at the end of the chapter, it's the whole experience, everything around us in a different way, not in terms of how they meet our addictive needs. And then the next paragraph goes on to say the perception of God being enough is a hallmark of a transparent life. And I think that's what you're getting at. Kyle is saying like, we want to focus on these little things and we try to make these little things, our experience of others, our experience of a sunset or our experience of food. And we want to attribute those little things to God and be fulfilled. And, and I think what's being said here is um, that the simple perception of God just being enough uh, is what we're seeking, is, is kind of the trajectory that we're on. Um, and then especially when he describes then what, what happens as we live into um, that transparent life. Gone are the, ten the tensions, hassles, and struggles that signal entrapment by our uh, basest, Desires, is that right? Basis desires. Mm -hmm. um, the restless scanning of the horizon for new experiences ceases. The constant churning of the mind for escapes and distractions disappear. Even the occasional lapses into egotistical thoughts are seen as opportunities for growth into a deeper connection with God. Whether acting or being acted upon, we respond with the mind of Jesus Christ. In this lies transparency. I mean, man, I think you mentioned this earlier, Laura, there is like quarantine prescriptions everywhere uh, right now. I mean, you see it in email, you see it in every type of social media, you see it in discussions with friends of, hey, have you tried this? Or, hey, why aren't you doing this? And then there's this huge competition to be the best at quarantining right now in the middle of, of this pandemic. Um, I, I, I think that this is probably the closest thing to helping us solve our anxieties right now um, and, and our concerns, our fears. Um, you know, like when you say um, gone are the tensions and hassles, I'm thinking like, oh man, tell me more. Um, if, I'm say, if I'm seeing, that, like when it says the restless scanning of new horizons, uh, of the new horizon for new experiences ceases, I mean, like, man, I, that is me. That, that's so me. Uh, I'm constantly looking for, you know, new experiences. What's, what's the next thing that's going to happen? I, I'm looking for escapes and distractions. Um, this, this seems to be 
uh, really prescriptive for me in a way that I, I need it right now. Like, I just, I think, and maybe this has just been my experience this week with people. Like, I firmly believe in a God that is in control and a God that is all powerful and has a plan. But I'm really sick of people God-splaining things right now. Yeah, that's a good point. For sure. So. Yeah, the the desire for, like, optimism and, man, God's got this. It's like, yo, don't tell me that when you're not going to tell someone whose entire family just died. Like, what do you, you know what I mean? Like, what do you, it's easy for you to say that to me, but do you really, like, sorry, this is too much of that talk and not about the book, but it's like. I don't care. Keep going. It's like, it's like, are we going to tell someone who's both of their parents died of coronavirus that God's got this? Like, sure, I'm sure you would, but would you believe it if it happened to you? And like, how do we allow each other to feel and separate our feeling, what we're feeling from our understanding of God and his power and his control and his sovereignty? I think God is allowing us to be transparent, wants us to be transparent in that space of our feelings and, and how we're experiencing these different things. Yeah. And the, I'm sure, I mean, I haven't, this is probably a false claim, but I'm sure that mental health problems are probably more prevalent in Christians and non-Christians because Christians keep telling themselves that if I'm feeling bad, I'm wrong and I need to fix it. Like if I'm feeling sad, I need to, like I'm wrong for feeling sad. If I'm anxious, I'm wrong for feeling anxious because of this. When in reality, it's like just, we're trying to like put God under an umbrella and our feelings under one umbrella and go from this umbrella, oh, I'm anxious, but over here, God's okay. It's like we need to, we can yeah. create an umbrella that our feelings and God is under that we don't have to try to explain away. Yeah, that's like one of the things what I just wrote down to remember was I think we forget that like I can I can be in pain and I can be anxious or stressed or sad or angry and I can also still be hopeful. Like I can exist in pain and hope at the same time. That's allowed. And I think we are being told that or we believe that that's not an option. Um, but that's how I feel. Like I feel a lot of pain right now, but I also feel a lot of hope. It makes me go back to that, that quote on page 89 where it says, um, do not let your heart be troubled, little brother. I will tell you the kind of friend I am, and then you can decide for yourself what kind you would like to be. Willie, if I speak to you with beautiful words that make you feel important but do not love you, I'm not your friend. Uh, if I share all my knowledge with you so that you understand all the mysteries of the universe but do not love you, I'm no friend at all. If I give all my food to feed your family and take care of all your needs, but do not love you, I'm not your friend. And, and I think that that's, that so specifically speaks into this fear we're talking about where it's like, oh man, but what if we screw this up? Because I can never, and even Willie said that, I can never be that friend. Like, I think, I think we so often limit our experience of God to what we can give to God as well. So we're not willing to accept something that we can't reciprocate. And so we're saying like, oh man, God, you're, we have a hard time believing that God can be there even when we can't be there in the same way to God, which is crazy, right? Like to even to speak that out loud and, and think like, man, I've got a God complex, right? Like I've got a problem with assuming that I can be God to God in the same way I expect God to be to me. 
And it's really helpful to have that permission that says, whoa, 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 no, you can't. And you need to stop trying because if I only love you for what you could love me back, um, then I would, that's not actual love. And I need to, I've realized through this and even through this discussion that I need to live, allow myself to be into that space and allow myself to not try to reciprocate God to God. That's really good. So if we go to the top of page 95 and we read this sentence before, but the perception of God being enough is the hallmark of the transparent life. And if you just take that sentence, I'm struggling with how that looks in my everyday life with going about doing things and being someone and think about every is just knowing that he's enough is good enough well like think about every mega church pastor that has a private jet how many of those people feel authentic to you or transparent to you right very few because the things about god that they say to people in front of a church in a screen like give the impression that they think God is enough. But when you see that they have a private jet and 13 Benzes and a diamond encrusted watch, then it becomes very clear that the God that they claim to talk about isn't enough. You know what I mean? Adam, you're going to have to go sell your jet. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I wish uh, that was a problem I had. Maybe I don't actually after reading this book. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm trying to figure out what does the model look like so that other people see that God is enough in my life. Well, I think that's where the elixir comes in, right? For, mm -hmm. for, I think forgiveness, like, like kind of shows that our pride and our like desire to be right and our desire to be the best. We don't need that. Right. That is not, we're not running after that. Like, Joy kind of gives the impression that the things that we want, the stuff that we have, the, our goals, those don't define how we see ourselves. And acceptance says, oh, the way that we view other people, the things that we think about other people, like the no cultural norms that we carry, those are things that like, don't define who we are. So by experiencing um, like joy and acceptance and forgiveness and like acting upon those things, those are the things that like show God and show other people like that God is enough. You know what I mean? I think yeah, we find that a lot at the bottom of 93. And I, I know I'm doing a lot of reading today, but <laughs> the bottom paragraph of 93, Christians who move towards this place will find peace and pleasure in the divine enough. Here we stop worrying about what we don't have because we're taking the time to appreciate enjoy, and enjoy what we do have. The greater percentage of the unnecessary self-induced suffering in our lives is eliminated because the addictions that once pushed us towards achieving security, experiencing pleasure, and developing power no longer assert themselves with their absurd demands for instant satisfaction. Worry and anxiety no longer drive us, for we realize they're not born of the gospel and carry no redemptive significance. They only prolong the times of darkness in our life and can be eliminated by submitting our thoughts to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It sounds so easy. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> just, just submit your thoughts to God. And I, it's just, it's, it's a struggle. It's a hard thing when everything in our society is pushing against this. And, and I think one thing I do want to be really careful of for people who are reading and even for our conversation, um, that, that one of the last couple of lines, worry and anxiety no longer drive us for we realize they're not born of the gospel and carry no redemptive significance. Uh, they only prolong the times of darkness in our life and can be eliminated by submitting our thoughts to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, I believe that it's important, the context where he says, worry and anxiety no longer drive us. I think that's what he's talking about. I don't think he is saying worry and anxiety no longer exist because I don't personally believe that simply submitting our thoughts to the Lordship of Jesus Christ eliminates the existence of worry and anxiety. I think submitting our thoughts to the Lordship of Jesus uh, Christ um, does not allow worry and anxiety to drive us. I don't know if that's that, a helpful clarification or not. That is a word. I think that is awesome. Yeah. I really like the way you clarified it actually. Yeah. That's helpful. Well, thank you. This is good, man. It's nice. We've gone week two on doing recording our book club through zoom um i really appreciate you guys taking the time out of your day uh, both to read this book to engage and think deeply about this book and then to share your thoughts i i recognize how um i guess transparent um and authentic and even um you guys are allowing yourselves to be very vulnerable in this and i personally really appreciate that and uh I'm thankful for the way you guys are engaging and um, look forward to, you know, making our way past the halfway point and seeing how this book finishes up. But one of the things that I've really appreciated is the way that this book um, has from week to week transformed the way I think about who Jesus is and how I live my life uh, as a follower of Jesus. And so thanks for joining me. Thanks for being a part of this. Um, if you're listening, thanks for taking some time to listen. Michaeline, Laura, Kyle, have a great day. Stay safe.